Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. I had the privilege a while ago of visiting a Sunday service at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in downtown Brooklyn, New York. As the lights came up and shone on their famous 280-member Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, they looked like a heavenly host ready to worship God. And then I heard their amazing voices, which is fascinating because they're all vocally untrained. They filled the 4,000-seat former movie house in downtown Brooklyn with praise to the Lord God and worship of His name. It felt like a little slice of heaven. It was an experience I'll never forget. Yet their performance pales in comparison to the one that we will see, hear, and experience right before Jesus returns to this earth. As we open Revelation 19, we envision the most glorious hallelujah chorus of believers worshiping and honoring Jesus Christ. What an amazing time that will be. I'm Debbie Blank, looking forward to praising our Lord with you when that time comes. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. I also had a little slice of heaven experience similar to the one Debbie just described when I was in an auditorium full of other women singing hymns at a Women of Faith conference. The hundreds of voices praising God together were so beautiful and uplifting that I thought I could have stayed in that atmosphere forever. And I did wonder if this is what heaven must be like. Then when I was studying today's chapter of Revelation 19, I was excited to come across a video of a song titled Revelation 19.1. I had never heard of it before, but it is actually based on the first verse of our study today. And watching the performance was like getting another glimpse into the heavenly joy and worship. All kinds of people were singing together in the same amazing spirit, with radiant faces, lifting their hands and praising the Lord, all inspired by the first verse of Revelation 19. Some people say that when we get to heaven, we're not going to do anything except worship God. Well, what else is there that we need to do? We will find such great joy in worshiping God that that could keep us busy for the rest of our eternity. Now, as you read more, and we will read more in Revelation 21 and 22 about heaven, we do other things. But what a great opportunity to worship God. And we see it right here in this book of Revelation that so many people see as only negative and the wrath of God and the future judgment. It's chocked full of worship of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I think I've shared it with you before that 44 of the 403 verses in this book are worshipful verses to God. Now, actually, 21 times in Revelation, you see worship. Five of those times is to the beast, whereas 16 are to God. But when you look at all the verses, 10% of the verses practically are worshiping God. So every time we see a negative that's going to happen or a judgment, we see God being honored and worshiped and glorified for who he is. Because everyone who's in heaven recognizes that God is to be glorified. He is our righteous judge who is to be honored. And when this book takes place and the judgments takes place, Jesus is being honored 
for being our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The focus throughout this book is on who Jesus Christ is and the future when he returns in his glory and sets up his kingdom. Wow, what more excitement can we have than to want to be a member of Jesus' family, to be the bride of Christ so that we can be with him and be with all these others as they worship Christ right now in heaven and then what we're going to do when we get there. So when we talk about this outpouring of loud praises from heaven, what precedes that? Why are they so celebratory? What is the victory that they're celebrating? We can see that actually in Revelation 19.1 because it starts out, after these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Well, it starts out after these things. So in order to find out what those things are, you have to go back to chapter 18. In chapter 18, we discuss the destruction of the great city, Babylon. Then in chapter 17, before that, we read about fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, mystery Babylon, the religious system of the last days. So after these things, people are rejoicing because God has poured out his wrath on an ungodly group of people who have never followed him, who have in fact turned away from him to follow Satan, to gain the power that Satan gives rather than following God. God has become the righteous judge and it's now his time. He's going to defeat the enemy completely as we see it in Revelation 19 and he is going to reign forever and ever. And so this defeat that they're celebrating, just it causes this outburst of joy and celebration in heaven where they do sing, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And referring back to the song that I was talking about, they sing that about 10 times where they interweave it with some other scriptural things, but it's just beautiful. So that's the phrase that they use. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. That's spelling it out exactly what has just happened. It's justice and it's honor and it's glory for those who followed the beast, for those who followed the harlot. It is misery, but the rejoicing is because it's just and it had to be done to get rid of evil. Jesus is going to continue to do that as we go along in this scripture. We see right here in verse one, hallelujah. That means praise the Lord. It is only listed four times in all of scripture, that phrase, hallelujah. Now, the idea of praising the Lord is mentioned several times. And even in this passage in verse five, it says, give praise to our God. But the word hallelujah is mentioned four times in the New Testament. And they're all right here in Revelation 19, verses one through six. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And as you said, salvation and glory and power belong to God. We see God as our deliverer. They're grateful because he's our salvation. He has delivered us. They're grateful. They revere God because of his glory. He's being honored for the Shekinah glory that God has poured out on his people. And they're honoring him for his power, the trust that he is all powerful to do everything, including judging an ungodly world which happens in verse two, when his judgments are true and righteous. That's God as our judge. He is pouring out the consequences of the sins of people because only God is the one who can see our hearts. We can't truly see man's heart and only God is pure enough to judge other people. He is 
the one who can foresee what people have done and what they're going to do. And he can judge them because there is only one way to get to God. That is by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, following him with all of our hearts. And when we don't do that, people must be judged because sin cannot enter God's kingdom. People must be true and righteous before God's eyes. Otherwise, they are judged. And then he says at the end of verse two, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So he's our avenger. Now, I'm not talking about the avenger like we see in the movies. We're talking about a just God who pours his wrath on an unjust world. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is God's place to take this vengeance, to be the avenger. He, again, is being righteous. And then at the sound of that second hallelujah, that praising God, praise Yahweh, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship God who sits on the throne. And again, they say, amen, hallelujah. So there's another hallelujah there, like you said. And a voice came from the throne. But before we go to the voice from the throne, do you have anything to say about the 24 elders and the four living creatures? Well, we see that in the very first verse, we see that it's the great multitude who are worshiping God. In verse three, it's still the great multitude who's worshiping God. And it says here, here, smoke rises up forever and ever. That shows us that God is a just God who allows that vengeance of sin to take place. And it's not just temporary. These people have decided on their own while they were on earth to turn away from God. This is their permanent dwelling place. In Isaiah 34:10, we see what he's saying here in verse three. Because in Isaiah it reads, it shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation, it shall be desolate. None shall pass through it forever and ever. That's a long time. Just as we're worshiping God in heaven forever and ever, these people are going to be sent to destruction because of our just God. So the first two hallelujahs are being sung by the great multitude. But the third one that you mentioned in verse four is the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Who are they? Well, we were introduced to them back in Revelation chapter four and five. They're the ones who are worshiping God around his throne. Now, we don't know who the four living creatures are. And the 24 elders, we're not told who they are either, though a lot of people will believe they were the 12 apostles and then the 12 tribes of Israel or the leaders of the 12 tribes. We don't know that for sure. But the point is, these are people who have a special place in heaven and they're worshiping God and saying hallelujah. But before they say hallelujah, praise the Lord, they worship God who sits on the throne saying amen. When I think of amen, I think, okay, that's it. So be it. That's the end. It's fixed. It's sure. It's going to happen. It's complete. It can be trusted. So as we see all these people worshiping, we can know for sure that this is what's going to happen in heaven. And not only are we who were on the earth, who are now in heaven, going to be worshiping with God, but so are the Old Testament leaders. So is everyone who's in heaven. So it's interesting that we have all of this multitude, this great multitude, singing praises to the Lord, all the different aspects that you just mentioned, and yet we have a voice come from the throne in verse 5 saying, Give praise to our God, all you bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great, 
Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So it seems like we have this great voices combined, praising God, and yet it goes up to another level. We have more. It's this great multitude plus we have the sound of many waters. Somebody said if you've ever been to Niagara Falls and try to talk to somebody, you can't hear each other because it's so loud. And we know what mighty peals of thunder sound like. So in addition to this great multitude, I kind of think of a game where sometimes you think, you know, the crowd's so excited it couldn't get any louder, and then it does. So this just gets louder and louder. And then we have, again, uh, culminating with hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, which is from the hallelujah chorus. We see these people praising God. In verse 5, it says, give praise to our God. It could be hallelujah, because that's what, what hallelujah means, praising the Lord. It's praising our God, all you, his bond servants. Every single person who's been saved on the face of the earth is going to be worshiping God here and saying hallelujah. Well, probably should have said this earlier, but what does worship mean? What does it mean to praise God? Is it just an act of our mind or our hearts, or is it our whole of everything that's honoring God? Well, the Greek word is interesting because it's preskunio, and it means to kiss. It's like a dog licking his master. And you think of that, why does a dog lick his master? Because a dog will do anything for his master. He sits at his feet. Generally speaking, our dogs are our most loyal friends and companions. They will give their lives for us. But licking us is a sign of great affection and honor and praise to us. When you kiss someone, it's a sign of affection. When we're praising God, we are showing the greatest kind of affection that we can of God. Because the focus is not on us, it's on him. And that's what praise is all about. All too often in our type of praise or prayer, we're focusing on ourselves. What do we want? What is our request? How does it benefit me? Whereas this is all about worshiping God. We're showing reverence to God, the reverence that he deserves, and the homage to God, because he is the great God Almighty. He is our Lord. Our whole life response of God's greatness, of his glory, is poured out in our praise. So we need to ask ourselves, are we praising God that way right now? We don't need to wait to heaven to do this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, praise, worship is our fitting response to who he is and everything he's done for us. We should be doing that now. And it's not just an emotion. As a matter of fact, it's really not an emotion, even though we feel it greatly, but it's a lifestyle. It's how we live. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I'm praising God when I sing. That's great, but that's not the only time. And people will praise God through acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is asking for things. That's a form of praising God. We can praise God through intercession praying for other people, focusing on them and God rather than us. We can certainly praise God through our service, through the things that we do, through the gifts that he gives us, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. We can praise God through our entire lifestyle, 
everything we do. So the question really boils down to it. Are we focusing on God to a point of worship and praise in everything we think, do, and say here on earth? Or are we just waiting for that in heaven? Now, I like to start it now. As long as I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let's worship him now. And then we can have the great hallelujah chorus when we get to heaven. When you were talking about feelings, I thought you know, it's good to start it now. It's good to feel it now. It just feels so great. I sat and listened to several different groups sing that song when I first discovered it. There were different ones singing it, and so I clicked on the different ones, and I'm listening to it, and I'm having a great time. I have other things I need to be doing, but you know what? I just basked in that, and then it took me to some other hymns and songs and some other choirs or whatever, and it was just wonderful. And I thought, why don't I do this more often? And with all that's going around in the world that we worry about, God exists in the praises of his people. So why not get closer to him? And he gifts us with that peace and that joy in the midst of our praising him. When we praise and worship him, the focus is on him, as I said, all on him, not on us. And again, it's not just worship and music. Consider when you worship God in music, are you just singing words that you're familiar with? Or are you thinking about God? Are you building that talking into God in your singing, in your worship? That's what they're doing here. Their focus is on God. And in verse six, when it talks about, again, the voice of the great multitude and the many waters and the thunders, that's not just people. That's nature. All of nature is praising God. We can see that in Romans 1.20, where it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God reveals himself to us in his nature, through the trees and the snow and the clouds and the rain and everything he gives us. He reveals himself, and here nature is worshiping him too. Now that shouldn't surprise us, because if we go back to Genesis 6, the beginning of the flood, we see that every intent of man's heart was only evil continually, but we also see that the earth was corrupt. So you have man and you have nature that were corrupt. So here we see man and nature worshiping God, singing hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. This is a preview of what we're going to see in a few verses when Jesus is ready to return to this earth and Jesus is going to reign. And when he reigns, he will finally be recognized as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is no longer the suffering servant. He's coming to establish that much-promised millennial kingdom here on earth with him reigning as the king. That is going to be so awesome. Right now, he's reigning in heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Almighty and intercedes for us. Pretty soon, he's coming back to reign on earth. So in this passage so far, in Revelation 19, 1 through 6, people have worshiped God as the deliverer. He's honored. He's all-powerful. He's the judge. He's our avenger. He's just. He's righteous. He's complete in everything he's done. People are praising him because he's worthy of praise, and he is going to reign. You've talked about what is so awesome, but what else is awesome that's coming up in the next verses is the marriage of the Lamb. So we have in 7, verse 7, what might amount to a wedding announcement, and in verse 9, what might amount to a wedding invitation. Reading verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jackie, you said it exactly right, that these verses talk about a wedding feast. These mimic exactly what a Jewish wedding feast was like, because primarily a Jewish wedding feast was composed of three things. The first one was the betrothal. That's when the man and his father came and made an agreement with the father and the daughter and paid a price for her hand in marriage. That would be like Jesus saving us with his blood. He made the payment. He made the dowry so that we would be betrothed to him. And then the second part of the wedding feast is the bridegroom coming for his bride. Well, we see that at the rapture of the church. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, which is what the bridegroom did during the year or so after the betrothal. He went to prepare a place for his bride and then he comes again to receive him to herself that he can go home with him to the house that he has prepared. Well, Jesus, he tells us in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And then finally, you have the marriage supper. And that's the consummation of the marriage. Even though they're considered married from the very beginning, the supper consummates it. And in this case, we see the heavenly marriage supper in heaven with Jesus. So we have the marriage of the lamb in verse seven. And of course, who wouldn't rejoice and be glad at any marriage, but especially the marriage to Jesus. We've already been married. We're already in heaven. That's why we're in heaven, because we are the bride of Christ. Remember from Ephesians chapter five, we are Christ's bride. We're the church who's believed in Jesus and we've made ourselves ready by believing in him and therefore being saved when we died and going to heaven and being with him there. And then it was given to her in verse 18 to clothe ourselves in fine linen. Who gives it to us? Jesus. He gives us the ability to accept him as Lord and Savior. And then we clothe ourselves in fine linen, which are bright and clean. What are those fine linen? They're the righteous acts of the saints. So we're saved. Jesus has given it to us to be in heaven because we're betrothed to him. We're his bride. We've believed in him. But then once we get in heaven, we go through a judgment. And when we do, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we're judged on the deeds that we have done. And that's where we receive the fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints during that judgment. And then finally, you have the marriage supper in verse nine. And it says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Wait a minute. Everyone in heaven that's the bride of Christ is going to be saved and go through the wedding. So how do you have invited guests? Well, I believe those invited guests are the Old Testament saints, the people who believed in Jesus, in the coming Messiah, but who did not experience Jesus. So they're invited. They get to come. They're part of the celebration. They're the invited guests. 
And then after he gives that example of the wedding feast, John was so overwhelmed, he starts to worship the angel. And the angel said, no, 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 don't worship me. Matter of fact, three times in Revelation, the angel said to John, don't worship me. Instead, worship Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, all prophecy is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfills all prophecy. Wow, what a chorus. What a way to prepare us for the return of Jesus Christ than to see everyone in heaven worshiping him. We're going to be there. We're going to be there because of the rapture. We're going to be part of that chorus as we prepare to worship Jesus before he returns. Or at least we are. You and I are. But how about you, our listeners? Have you accepted Jesus Christ so that you know for sure that you will go to heaven? Only then can you be in this chorus. Only then can you want to be and be the ones worshiping and praising God and being in heaven to go through the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be the bride of Christ. But you need to commit your life to Jesus today in order to be there. Will you do that? Because the time is coming very soon when Jesus is going to return. And there might not be another opportunity if you don't do it now. How do you do that? You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Put him at the center of your heart instead of yourself. We did it before in that we were sinners and we still are. We followed our own ways until Jesus got a hold of our heart. And then at that point, we confess Jesus as Lord, just as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Believing isn't just a mental assent. It's a heartfelt commitment where we surrender to Jesus, and then we follow Jesus in everything that we do because we have that conviction of who he is. And then Romans 10.10 continues, For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it's your heart that believes, and only God knows your heart. You can tell people you're saved, but are you really? God knows. And how do you get saved? By believing in Jesus, surrendering to him, giving your life to him, and making him Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, it's really simple. Matter of fact, it's so simple, we think we have to work our way to heaven or do good things or follow our religion or check off a bunch of checklists. No, 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 it's just simple. We have to believe. So you can pray a prayer with me right now. We're not perfect people. We're just surrendering our hearts to Jesus. And you can do that by saying this, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven because of my sin. But you have made the way through Jesus Christ. You have opened the door through his death for sin and then through his resurrection to open the eternal heavens for my resurrection. I know that Jesus is God and he's the perfect sacrifice and I believe in him, not just with my head, but I surrender my heart and my life to follow Jesus. Help me to walk in a manner worthy of you by following Jesus. Show me the way, God, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with your heart, then you are going to heaven. You will be with Jesus and we'll be singing the glorious hallelujah chorus with you before Jesus returns. If you're not sure after hearing that prayer, talk to God, ask him to show himself to you and he will. 
He tells us, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to him today. He's reaching out for you. He wants you to come to him. Turn to Jesus today. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.